Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. October 31st, 1517 is probably a date that some of you are familiar with. It is when Martin Luther nailed his protest against the Catholic Church, against the door of the church in Wittenberg. Luther thought that these protests would make their way to the Pope and that he would see, according to Scripture, some of the things that he disagreed with, practices in the Roman Catholic Church. Surely the Pope would understand in light of Scripture and he would make changes, but that was not the case. And over time, the church began to lose patience with Martin Luther. In fact, Pope Leo X issued an edict outlining 41 errors by Luther. In other words, he countered Martin Luther. I have read your writings, I have read your protest, and so I'm going to point out 40 thing, 41 things that are wrong with what you have said. Furthermore, Pope Leo X said that Martin Luther must renounce his errors and submit to the Roman Catholic Church. Well, time passed, and the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V summoned Luther to a diet in the city of Worms. A diet is a meeting of the highest political authorities in the Holy Roman Empire. Now put yourself in Martin Luther's shoes. Charles V, nonetheless, has summoned him to this very significant and very important religious political gathering. Do you think he was afraid? As Luther goes to this diet, you know that in the back of his mind, he's thinking of John Huss, who was burned to death at the stake in Prague a hundred years earlier, earlier for his theological eras. And so on April 17th, Martin Luther in 1520 stands before this diet, this political religious gathering, and they tell him, you must recount, excuse me, recant of your beliefs. So he asked for some time to think about it and to pray about it. A challenging situation. His life could possibly be on the line. He talked with friends overnight. He prayed fervently. And then on April the 18th, he tells them that he cannot recant. That he is going to stand firm in what it is that he believed. And we know that the rest is history. This is the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Luther had surrendered his heart to the gospel of grace. Luther had surrendered his heart to the word of God. He stood firm. He was not going to change. And so this morning, we're going to come to the end of the gospel of Mark chapter 8, and we're going to see Jesus speak to his disciples, and we're going to see Jesus speak to the crowd. And one of the things that he is going to say is that our hearts and our minds and our souls should be surrendered to the gospel of grace and the word of God. Surrender 
yourselves to me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your word would be effectual, that your word would change us. Father, we pray by the work of the Holy Spirit that your word would enter into our hearts and to our souls and to our minds. Father, and that you would enable us to hear the words of Jesus, that you would help us to love him more and to obey him more every single day. Amen. So there are a few things I want us to look at before we jump into the three main points of the text. Remember previously, Peter has made the confession that Jesus is the Christ. This is a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. All of the Gospel of Mark has been building up to this. The disciples are beginning to see who Jesus is, and Peter, their representative, says, You are the Lord. We see in verses 31 and 32 that he teaches them plainly. This is a critical thing that you need to understand in this book. That Jesus is spending time with his apostles, he's spending time with his disciples, and he's explaining to them very plainly in ways in which they can understand that the kingdom of God has come, that he is the Son of Man, he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is going to face persecution, that he is going to suffer. He's pointing them back to Isaiah and the suffering servant. He wants them to understand who he is and what he has come to do, that he is going to die and that he is going to be resurrected from the dead. 31 and 32 says that he teaches this to them plainly. And that it is understandable. And then in 32 and 33, Jesus rebukes Peter and the disciples. So Jesus is explaining all of this to them. And remember, they have just proclaimed that he is Lord. Now they are wanting to challenge him and rebuke him. So they are beginning to see, but not fully. And so this doesn't mesh with what they understand. They think the kingdom of God is going to come. It's going to be a political event. It's going to be a powerful event. And that ultimately Israel is going to overtake Rome. And that the divinity kingdom will be established. And it will be mighty. And it will rule forever. And Jesus, Jesus is talking about death. And he's talking about persecution. And he's talking about suffering. And he's talking about dying. And if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, that also implicates them as his followers. Are we going to suffer? Are we going to die? Are we going to face persecution? Jesus, you clearly have this wrong. You're you're not understanding what's happening here. Jesus, you don't get it. We are going to overthrow Rome. We are going to establish the throne of David, and you're going to sit on it. And we're going to sit at your right hand and your left hand in power and authority. That's why we are here. That's what we have been called to do. And Jesus is saying, you don't get it. That's not it. And so he rebukes them, and he rebukes them in very harsh and strong language because they have adopted ideas that belong to Satan. 
Think about that. If you will remember when Jesus goes into the wilderness, Satan approaches our King, our Redeemer, our Messiah, and he says to him, if you will just submit to me, you can have all of this. You can have everything. And Satan is tempting him, saying, you will not have to experience persecution. You will not have to suffer. As Jesus is being encountered by our great adversary, our enemy, Satan is telling him, you can avoid that cup of wrath. You know how you're going to the cross and God is going to place the sin of all His covenant people on you and you're going to be punished. It will be an eternity in hell for a moment that you will experience. Hey, submit to me. Serve me. Obey me. You can avoid all of that. And so when the disciples disciples tell Jesus that they just don't like the idea of persecution and death, Jesus is saying to them, your idea is coming from Satan. Your idea is coming from Satan. So there's three things that we're going to look at this morning. The heart, the mind, and the soul. The heart, the mind, and the soul. If you look at verses 38 all the way to chapter 9, verse 1, let's focus in on that for the heart. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then in 9.1, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. The first thing that I want you to notice is the language in chapter verse 38 where Jesus says the Son of Man. This is coming from Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 where Daniel receives a vision that there will be a heavenly figure who will be given dominion over all things in a kingdom that will last forever. So when Jesus describes himself, when Jesus talks about himself, more often than not he calls himself the Son of Man. He's looking back to Daniel and he is saying, I am that heavenly figure who will rule over all of creation forever. I will be the one who establishes the kingdom of God. I am the Son of Man. And so what he's saying to the apostles and he is saying to the disciples is, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. It is now time for you to make a decision about who I am. I am the Son of Man. You have proclaimed that I am Christ. I want you to fully grasp the significance of my ministry and the coming of the kingdom. So there is a ice cream place near our house called Chill in Carterville. And last week I took my son and one of his friends. And we go in and you turn the corner and you're immediately hit with milkshakes snow cones, or ice cream. Is there a harder decision in life? Snow cones, and I'm particularly fond of half grape, half cherry snow cones. Snow cones, ice cream, milkshakes. And I stood there, and I watched these two boys looking up at the menu, and you could tell it was hard to make a decision. The truth of the matter is, I was having a hard time making the decision. 
because I wanted all three, but you can't have all three, so you have to choose one. We stood there and we stood there and the line behind us was growing and I finally looked at both boys and said, guys, decision time. Little did they know that I had still not made a decision. That's what's happening in this text. Jesus is saying to them, decision time. But here's the thing. The word of the Lord speaks in the past. It speaks in the present. It speaks in the future. So as we come into the presence of the Lord and we hear him talk to his apostles, he's saying to us that when you encounter the gospel, when you hear the gospel, when you hear me speak, it is decision time. Do you believe in this gospel? Or does your heart belong to this adulterous and sinful generation? You see, when we come before the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, it begs the question, are you with Christ? Or do you belong to this sinful and fallen world? And that's one of the things that I love as God's people when we gather together every Sunday for worship. It's the Lord Jesus coming to us and He's saying, cling to the gospel. Place your hope in the gospel. Stand assured in the gospel. This is your hope. This is your life. You don't belong to that sinful generation. But He's also telling us to die to self and to live for Him over and over and over again. The gospel is at one time a definite and final thing. And in another sense, it is an ongoing thing. It's on repeat play, if you will, as an encouragement to us day in and day out. But if you don't know the Lord, if you haven't trusted in Him, this question is also relevant. Where will you be found when I come again with power? Have you placed your trust and your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hear this from Hebrews 3, 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The author of Hebrews and our own Savior Jesus Christ is saying, this is a paramount, eternal thing of grand significance. Who does your heart belong to? Psalm 13, 5 through 6, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. Jesus is asking the apostles, are you going to be ashamed of me? Are you going to belong to this adulterous and sinful generation? Or is your heart going to be given over to me? What say you? And it's the same thing for us. And when we think about the words of King David, the encouragement here is that God's love for us that captures our heart is a love that comes from Him. He loves us so much that He enables us when we don't want to, to love Him. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That when our heart belongs to Christ, that salvation is a gift that comes from Him. And so it is a two-sided coin. It is Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your heart to Him. 
trust in Him, decide for the cross. But the other side of the coin is that love, that heart full of salvation is a gift that comes from Him. And it's a mystery that we cannot fully understand this side of heaven. That God is telling us to love His Son and to fill our heart with His words and to trust in Him. But at the same time, it's a gift that He gives to us. And so we embrace the wonderful mystery of that. Secondly, the mind. Look at verse 33. Go back and look at verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The apostles propose a satanic remedy, a way out of suffering and death. And so it begs the question as followers of Christ, how do we navigate this sinful and adulterous generation? How do we live a life that is pleasing to God? How do we run this obstacle course to His glory? And the answer is that we set our minds on the things of God. Jesus is telling us what to do. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Set your mind on the things of God. Here Proverbs 4, 20-21. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. What do we do? We think through everything according to the Word of God. It's the only rule for faith and life. We come to the Word of the Lord and we embrace it and we learn it and we cherish it and we memorize it. And we think through what Scripture has to say about being a husband about being a wife, about being parents, being a boss, being an employee, grandparents, children. It's all there. It is the instruction manual that is telling us how to live in such a way that God receives all the glory and He is pleased and that by obeying the Word of God, we are most fulfilled. We are most fulfilled. And so we have to know it. We have to live in the words of Holy Scripture. One of the things that's most difficult, most challenging as a believer, as a minister, is how very little people actually think through in our society Scripture. I'm talking about believers. We can expect that from the world. Don't be surprised ever that the world thinks contrary to the Word of God. But it is very difficult and a very sad thing when you see so many believers who rely on television or they rely on podcasts or they rely on books to inform their thinking. When Jesus is telling us, if you want to escape this sinful generation, you have to know the word of the Lord. It is, it is, they are words of wisdom. They are words of life. 
It's medicine for your soul. And so you need to find yourself time and time again and over and over again coming back to the word of the Lord, letting it be your anchor. And before you act and before you speak, before you think foolish things and say foolish things and do foolish things, that you're coming to the word of the Lord and you're saying, Jesus, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? What is right according to your word? That's what it means to give your mind over to the glory of Jesus Christ. We talked about Martin Luther in the very beginning. We had a quote from him earlier in the bulletin and then the opening illustration about how he stood firm because his heart was surrendered to Christ. Hear what he has to say about the word of the Lord. There is not on earth a book more lucidly written than the Holy Scripture. Compared with all other books, it is as the sun compared with all other lights. And then thirdly, the soul. Verse 34 and 37, very important. Hear what Jesus has to say. We're going to read it again. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, the important thing or something that's very interesting to see in that passage is we often read that and we think about the cross and we have the benefit of looking back in time because we know that Jesus died on the cross. But understand that the disciples are hearing this for the first time. My way is a way of suffering. My way is a way of disappointment. My way is taking up the cross. Well, the disciples understood Roman society well enough that they knew, I have to take up an instrument of death in order to be in your family. Verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So in this sinful and adulterous generation that Jesus is talking about, and it just simply stays the same generation to generation, how does one save his soul? How do you do this? Well, like Martin Luther you surrender your heart to the gospel of grace. You come under the gospel of grace and you trust in it and you believe in it and you allow Jesus to be your king and rule over your life. What does it mean to surrender? I have a friend, a really close friend, lifelong Alabama fan, bleeds crimson, roll tide through and through. Guess what happened when his daughter graduated from high school? She attends the loveliest village on the plains. She goes to Auburn. And not only does she go to Auburn, but she goes on full scholarship. Not only does she go to Auburn, not only does she go to on full scholarship, she is a cheerleader at Auburn. Well, I was following him on social media and I noticed that he was posting 
pictures of his daughter the day that she moved into Auburn. I thought, that's okay. Then a few months later, I see him taking pictures, selfies of himself with his daughter at an Auburn football game. Uh, mm, all right. Then a couple months later, I see him in a picture on social media, on Instagram, wearing a, you guessed it, Auburn hat. Serious rip in our relationship has now occurred. A couple months go on. And now I see him wearing an Auburn sweatshirt, an Auburn hat. And I even saw him write War Eagle. Now, all kidding aside, this father, this husband, he is a great man. He loves his daughter. He loves his daughter thoroughly. And I understood what was happening. That his love for his daughter was so great that he wanted to support her and encourage her and show her how, much, how excited he was for where, he was where she was and what she was doing. Because of his love for his daughter, he surrendered his rooting, if you will, his fandom, if you will, in order to be an encouragement to her. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Give up your loyalties and your affections for this world. Give up your hat and your seats and your sweatshirts for your team, which is the sinful and adulterous generation in which you live, and put on the new colors. Put on the new hat. Put on the new sweatshirt. Surrender completely to Jesus and who He is and His kingdom. As believers, we must understand that our earthly physical lives in terms of our eternal, excuse me, we must understand that our earthly physical lives do not compare in terms of our eternal glorified lives. This world is attractive. There are things about this world that are exciting. But what Jesus is telling his listeners to do is to think about their life in relation to their soul and eternity. It's honestly the only message of any comfort that people in Afghanistan would have right now. That according to the Word of God, your earthly lives do not pale in comparison to your souls and the experience that you have for all eternity. Your life on this earth is fleeting. It will be gone in a second. Your soul is eternal. Dwell on that. Jesus is challenging us to dwell on that. And so do not lose your souls for the sake of this world. Join Team Jesus. Give your heart to Him. Give your mind to Him. And give your soul to Him. Galatians 2 Verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself before me. I have been crucified with Christ. 
this life has died and it is now rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My soul belongs to Him and my soul will dwell with Him forever. There's a group that I like to listen to called Mumford and Sons. A lot of you have probably heard of them. And they have a song called Awake My Soul. And I, I was listening to it two days ago. And the lyrics just, it really jumped out. And it, and it really captures what I'm trying to say to you this morning with this third point about our soul. Here's what, here's what they've written in their song. In these bodies we will live. In these bodies we will die. And where you invest your love you invest your life. Awake my soul, for you were made to meet your maker. How poignant. You were made to meet your maker. How are you going to invest your heart, your mind, and your soul this morning, Trinity? Think about that. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, King of the universe, ruler over all things, the God of grace and mercy and love, we thank you that we can worship you and that we can hear from you. And we pray that you would challenge us. And we pray that you, by the work of your spirit, would move our hearts and our minds and our souls closer to you. Lord God, King of kings, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. 